Thanks so much, uh, Luke and John, for leading us in worship this morning. Um, hey, everybody, my name's Norton. Uh, it's good uh, to see you online. We're glad you could join us uh, for our online service today. Um, hey, before we jump into the sermon, uh, we all know that cases are skyrocketing in Colorado right now, and so this is just a really crucial time for us to be uh, extra safe. That's why we're doing these services online. We don't just, we feel like it's just not wise to gather in person. We would love to be in person, don't get me wrong. Uh, we would love to be uh, together, but we just all want to be extra safe um, right now. And in fact, next week, we're going to hear from a doctor in our uh, who's at Denver Health, who's part of the COVID response team there. Um, he's part of the New Denver Church community. Uh, he's a follower of Jesus. And um, we're just going to ask him uh, during our service next week, what have you learned over the last six months of treating patients? He treats patients every single day who have COVID. Uh, what are some of the smartest things that we can be doing right now? And then also just how can we process this entire season and what's happening right now in our world um, as people of faith. So uh, definitely tune in for that next week. Um, all right, let's shift to Leviticus. We are in uh, this sermon series where we're reading through the book of Leviticus. It's called You Lost Me at Leviticus. And uh, we have two weeks left together. Now, if you are reading through the entire book with us during this series, uh, we're now on chapters 24 and 25 in the book. Now, chapter 24 has a couple of really fascinating um, sections that are really important, and we don't have time to cover those today. So we're going to talk about those in the podcast uh, this week. Today, we're going to look at chapter 25, which continues this idea that we started last week in Leviticus of having a very intentional approach to the calendar. Um, so Leviticus said, every week you need to take a Sabbath day, and every year you need to mark some specific holy days in your calendar. So here's a weekly rhythm to follow, and then here's a yearly rhythm to follow. And then Leviticus zooms out even farther from that. So take a look at what it says, chapter 25, verse 1. Uh, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, it goes on to give some more instructions about this, instructions like don't plow your fields during this year, don't plant any crops, don't tend the vines, don't do any work in your fields on the seventh year. And the idea is that the land is just like you and me. The land can get overworked. The, the land can become overstressed. If you try to produce more than the land was made to produce, you will destroy the land. Because the land is like a living thing. It's just like you and me. It needs rest, right? The soil needs to be renewed. And this isn't the only place in Leviticus where it talks about taking care of the land and, and following these natural rhythms of creation, that there's times for plowing, there's times for planting, there's times for pruning, there's times for waiting, there's times for harvesting, and there's times 
for rest. In fact, later in Leviticus 25, it says this, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. So if you follow these rhythms of creation, the land's going to produce fruit for you. You'll have plenty to eat. You will live in harmony with the land. When you're good stewards, the land will provide for you. When you serve the land, the land will serve you. And that's really the key idea here, that we're all stewards of the land. In fact, look at verse 23. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine, this is God speaking, and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. In other words, you don't own the land. God owns the land. It's his land. He created it. And when you live there, you're like foreigners or strangers living on someone else's land. So you can't just do with the land whatever you want as if it's your land to do with. You're more like tenants. You've been given the opportunity to live on this land and to gain benefit from this land, but you also have to take care of it. You have to treat it with respect. Treat it with dignity because it's God's land. And this forces us to ask a really important question. Do we view the land this way? Do we think about it as God's land? Do we have this deep level of respect for the land, for God's creation? Or do we not really even think about it, right? Do we mostly act and live as if the land is ours and we can just do whatever we want on the land? I mean, what if God sat you down and sat me down every single week and said at the beginning of the week, hey, just remember today, um, I made the land that you're living on. I made everything you see. I made the fields. I made the streams. I made the mountains. I made the lakes. I made all of that. So could you just take care of those things this week? If you do anything or buy anything, could you make sure to think about the impact that it's going to have on the land? And could you just make sure to take good care of it? Because it's my land and it's precious to me. Uh, Twelve years ago, uh, we had three kids under the age of two. I know, it was crazy. And all I remember about um, that time is changing diapers. It felt like that's all I was doing. And I was only doing it like 20% of the time, right? And at some point... I don't know if it was after kid number one or kid number two. It's all a bit of a blur right now. But at some point, I remember taking these massive bags of dirty diapers out to our garage to put them in the bigger garage uh, garbage can out there. And we have three kids in diapers at this time. So it felt like I was doing this twice a day, this, this huge bag. And, and if we were in person right now, I would have an actual bag of really smelly, dirty diapers. We would just pass it around so you could feel the weight and feel what I was feeling. And I remember thinking, where do all of these heavy, dirty, smelly diapers actually go? And the answer is simple. We just throw them in a field somewhere, right? But I don't really care about it because it's not my field and it's not anywhere near where I live. But the truth is, it's not the city of Denver's field. It's not the state of Colorado's field, it's God's field. It's his land. 
And, and I'm just throwing all of my crappy trash, pun intended there, right? Into his field where it's going to sit for hundreds of years. Think about that. Now, I, I know the issue of disposable diapers and trash and solid waste, it's way more complex than that. But the truth is, most of us don't ever even pause to think about it, right? And that's because we just assume we can do whatever we want with the land as if it's our land. And God says, no, you can't. The land's mine. And when you disrespect the land, you disrespect me. And even more problematic for you, when you disrespect the land, there are long-term consequences. Because you're destroying the land. You're defiling the land. You are polluting the land. And when you do that, do you know what Leviticus 18 says? It says, if you defile the land, it will vomit you out. In other words, if you keep doing this, if you keep defiling and polluting the land, it's going to become inhospitable. It'll become hostile to you. And and if I could just skip ahead for a second, this is like breaking a sermon rule, but we're just going to skip ahead for a second because we're going to read part of this next week at the very end of Leviticus. It basically says, it summarizes the entire book and it says, if you follow all of these instructions that I'm giving you, when God brings you into the land where you're going to live, then amazing things are going to happen for you. But if you don't follow these instructions, the land will become hostile to you. The land will actually turn on you. And when the land turns on the people of Israel, here's how it's described in Leviticus 26. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. The land will the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths. You lived in it. Now the enemies are mentioned here because this literally happens hundreds of years later. The Babylonians sweep into Israel and they destroy the entire country. They lay waste to it and they take the people that they don't kill into exile back to Babylon and the land is in ruins. It's like a dystopian movie. It's this post-apocalyptic future where it's just desolate and laying in ruins. And Leviticus says, here's one of the reasons all of this happened. You never let the land rest. You abused the land. You overworked the land. You polluted the land. You never gave the land a Sabbath. And so it became hostile towards you and it kicked you out so that the land could finally rest from your abusive presence. Now that should convict us, right? And here's the lesson that I think we all need to take away from this today. It's simple. We live on God's precious land. Do we treat it that way? Right? And this is really a theme in the entire book of Leviticus. Do you respect animals? Because they're God's creation. And if you ever have to take the life of an animal, it's a serious thing. 
So treat it that way. Don't take it lightly. Everything does not exist for your unreflective consumption. And the land is the same way. It's God's precious creation. If you have to mine minerals, if you have to do something with your trash, right? If you have to make products that create byproducts in the process, take it seriously. It's a serious thing. Treat it that way. Don't take it lightly. If you have to drive cars that use lots of gas and that emit lots of pollutants, right? If you have to build factories, if you have to buy products that are made of plastic, right? It's a serious thing. Treat it that way. Think about it. Take it seriously because everything in creation does not exist for our mindless, unreflective consumption. You see, this is not a political issue. It's a Bible issue. For followers of Jesus who actually take the Bible seriously, we should be the most passionate environmentalists on the entire planet. We should be greener than the green party, right? Because it's God's precious land. And so we have to ask, do we actually treat it that way? And for Israel to help the people of Israel always have this truth in front of them and always be able to ask this question, God gave them this simple practice. Every seven years, you need to give the land a year of rest, a Sabbath year. And then Leviticus gives us one more practice, one more practice that's related to the calendar that is so much bigger and broader than anything it has addressed so far. Chapter 25, verse 8 says this, count off seven Sabbath years, so seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. So you go through this cycle of letting the land rest every seventh year, and you do that seven times, so that's 49 years. And then on the 50th year, I want you to do this, verse 9, then have the trumpet sounded everywhere. On the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. So this is looking into the future when the people are living in the land of Israel, the promised land, and it's saying on that 50th year, on the day of atonement, and remember, that's the one day of the year where God forgives everyone's sins. It's like the slate is wiped clean, but on the day of atonement in the 50th year, it's a special day of atonement. You sound the trumpet everywhere in the land, in every village, in every city, in every field. You sound the trumpet on this day, and here's why. Verse 10. Consecrate, or that just is make holy, make different the 50th year, and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family, property, and to your own clan. Now, if you've been around church or you've read much of the Bible, you might have heard of this idea of jubilee before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it's a bit of a new concept to you. There's a bunch of details that follow. So let me just describe to you how all of this works. It starts with this scenario. You're living your life in Israel and you fall on hard times. And you end up going into debt, 
And that would have been very common back then, just like it's common today. I mean, most of us watching are probably paying off some kind of debt, right? So back then, when you go into debt, it might have been for a natural, because of a natural disaster, right? Maybe something destroyed your crops, a drought or locust plague. Maybe a disease wiped out all of your livestock. Maybe it was because of your own mismanagement. Maybe it was because of bad farming practices. Maybe because you were lazy. There's all kinds of reasons. But if you go into debt and you can't pay it, then you have to sell your land. Right? And then if you can't pay it off after selling your land, you basically have to sell yourself. You become like an indentured servant where you're paying off the debt by saying, I'll give you the next two years or four years or six years of my life and work. It's a bit like slavery. Now think about it. If you have to sell your family land or you have to sell off yourself, you're really selling your family and your future. Because your capacity to to take care of your family and your capacity to build a future are wrapped up in your possession of the land and your ability to work. And if you can't do those things, and if your kids aren't going to inherit any family land, and oftentimes the kids become indentured servants as well because they're having to pay off the debt as well, you can see how economic hardship in the ancient world would, would, would have this downward spiral that would lead to generational poverty. And so Leviticus offers two possible solutions to this. Uh, Number one, at any point in the debt process, an extended family member can come in and help you out and bail you out. He can come in and buy the land back that you had to sell, or he could even buy you back from the person that you were in debt to. And this was called redemption. To redeem something is to buy it back. But this doesn't happen very often probably because extended family members aren't always compassionate enough to do that, and probably more often than not because they didn't have the means to do that. Maybe they were facing hardship just as much as you were. And so written into the laws of Leviticus is not just an option for an individual to come in and help you out in this situation, but is this structural, systematic provision called the year of Jubilee. So that every 50th year, anyone who has had to sell their land gets it all back. No questions asked. Anyone who has had to sell themselves into slavery gets their life back. No questions asked. There's no fine print, right? There's no payment that has to be made. There's no acknowledgement that this was all your fault, right? You need to just at least fess up to that first. This is all your fault. You're the one that got your, yourself and your family into this whole situation. No, on this day, during this year, you're set completely free. You're released from the debt. That word liberty literally means to be released from something. The land is given back to you. And you can return home to the land and to the life that God has for you. Now, there are all kinds of rules and and more provisions that govern how this is to be done. And we don't have time to read all those. But just think about this for a second. I mean, some of us are probably carrying huge financial debt right now. 
I mean, maybe you have several credit cards that are all maxed out. Maybe you have huge mortgage payments. Maybe you've got massive student loans and things are getting worse, right? It's like the hole just keeps getting deeper. And what if you suddenly this week got a call from your bank and they said, hey, just want to let you know, somebody contacted us and has decided to pay off all of your debt. It's literally all been taken care of. You don't owe us anything anymore. I mean, if that happened, you, you would be blown away. I mean, you would think it's a joke. You wouldn't believe it. Like, but if you could verify it all and it was actually true and it actually, you would be blown. I mean, you would, you would throw a party. You would tell everyone you knew, right? You would become the most thankful and grateful person on the planet, right? And you would actually be able to start an entirely new life free of this burden that you've been carrying for so long. It would give you a brand new life. Now, we don't know how often this actually happens in the history of the nation of Israel. We don't know how often they actually observed this year of Jubilee where all debts were canceled, all slaves were set free, all land was returned where people in mass went back to the land of their ancestors. We don't know how carefully this was actually practiced, but here's what we do know. Hundreds of years later, when Israel was destroyed by Babylon that I mentioned before, right? And the people were taken into exile into Babylon. Think about it. They had lost all of their land and they had lost all of their freedom. Everything was gone. And in the middle of that, this Persian king comes along. The Persians actually conquered the Babylonians. And in the middle of living in exile, this Persian king comes to power and says, hey, by the way, Jewish people, you can go back home to your land. You're free to go back home now. And it's right when that happens that the prophet Isaiah writes these words. This is Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom. That's the same word from Leviticus 25 for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah is saying to the people in exile, this is our jubilee. God is bringing us home. God is freeing us from our slavery. God is restoring us to our land. God is rescuing us again. Now, the people of Israel returned to the land, but life wasn't really the same. They never were really free. There was nations that continued to conquer them and rule over them. They find themselves eventually living under Roman rule. There's still injustice. There's inequity in the land. There's many people who are poor, many people who are living in debt, many people who are scraping by, barely making life work. Because there's this sense that they not only have financial debt, but there's a sense that they're not really able to live the life that God has for them. 
And then this teacher, this rabbi, comes along. He's going from synagogue to synagogue in Israel teaching. And one of the very first times he teaches, Luke tells us this. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He kept the Sabbath every week. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, Jesus is saying, the vision of Isaiah is coming true. Today, the vision of Leviticus is coming true. Today, the year of Jubilee is coming true. I have come, Jesus is saying, to redeem. I have come to rescue. I have come to restore. I have come to bring and proclaim good news. That God is on your side. That God has not forgotten about you. That God is with you. That I am with you. And that I want to free you and bring you home to live the life that you are made to live. This is the good news. This is the message that Jesus had for Israel and it's the message he still has for you and me today. Here's what he wants to say to all of us. Jesus can free you and bring you home. Now, that doesn't mean if you have credit card debt, he's going to cancel all your credit card debt magically, right? He might work with you to figure out how to deal with that. But there's all kinds of other debt that you might be carrying that Jesus wants to cancel. The shame and the guilt that you're carrying, he wants to free you of that. The the belief that God doesn't really care, that you're on your own, that things are not going to get any better. He wants to free you from that. He can free you from that despair. And the beginning of that freedom is coming home to him, coming home to live the life that he has for you. And so one question you might think about today is, Do you need to trust him with that? Do you need to let him free you from those things? But here's the deal. There's one other lesson that we need to learn from these instructions in Leviticus about Jubilee, and it's this. Do not create another Egypt. Do not create create another Egypt. That's what so many of these laws and so many of these practices in Leviticus are all about. Do not create another Egypt where people are taken advantage of, where where the vulnerable are stepped on, where inequity and injustice just continues to grow because of unchecked selfishness and greed. You see, every time someone had to sell their land, someone was acquiring more land. 
The more people that went into debt, the more other people got rich. And yes, there are times when people need to sell their land. And yes, there are times when people make bad decisions and they have to pay the consequences of those and pay off debt, right? And yes, there are economic systems of land purchase and work agreements that need to be upheld that Leviticus describes. In fact, Leviticus recognizes some people are going to excel in these systems and some people are going to struggle in these systems. But there's also a systematic check to ensure that Israel never becomes another Egypt. Because here's the deal. Human greed and human systems will always bend toward Egypt if they go unchecked. And so Israel is to be different. Remember, they're supposed to be holy. Holy means different. They're going to be different. You, Israel, are going to have this practice of an economic reset. And it's going to be built into the very fabric of your society to ensure that you never become a society that treats people the way you were treated when you were in Egypt. Everything always comes back to that. Don't ever forget, God continues to say over and over, I rescued you and I restored you from a system that was oppressing you. So don't recreate that system in Israel. And when you really dig into all of this and think about it, maybe it has all kinds of applications for how we need to think about laws and justice and compassion in our country today. But honestly, it's way more about us as a community of faith. Because it's possible that the countries we live in, wherever we live, and the systems that we live in, wherever we live, will always bend toward the way of Egypt. It's possible they'll always look a whole lot more like Egypt. And we are called to be a holy and different community of faith that models and embodies a very different way. And so will people see the church, the community of faith, As a group of people that always bend toward justice and compassion and redemption and restoration? Are we going to be known more for the burdens that we're putting on people or the burdens we're lifting off of people? Are we going to be known as a group of people who from time to time show radical mercy extravagant grace, jubilee-like forgiveness. Because that's the vision of Leviticus. That's the vision of Jesus. And that's who we want to be. Let me pray for us today as we think about all of this. God, there's so much to think about here that our lives are intertwined um, with the land where we live, uh, with the community of people that we live among, and with the wider world that we live in. And so help us to think about these practices of caring for your land, of caring for others when they face hardship, of being a group of people that models a different way,
And if there's something that each of us needs to do practically this week to begin to live into a different way of life, would you help us do that? Because you've been so, so good to us. And we want to reflect that goodness and that love and that beauty and that mercy in this world. We pray this in your name. Amen.